You're listening to the Justin C. Gleason podcast. Please consider following, leaving a great review and rating, and supporting by giving on Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. Podcasting is the future. is an evangelist with the United Pentecostal Church. He was just with us here in Kansas City for our Passing the Mental Conference 2021, and his preaching made a great impact on the conference and on me personally. His ministry will pull you to the depths of God's Word and to the heights of the Holy Spirit, my kind of preacher. Brother Herring, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, man? Man, I am fantastic. Tell us how Jesus became your best friend. How did that happen? Yeah, so um, I come from a broken home. My parents split up when I was just 12 years old. And my family went through some pretty hard times over the course of the next three years. And one of those uh, being that my family quit the church for a short season, just a few years from about the time I was 12 to 15. Uh, we, we weren't in church, weren't going to church. Um, and then at 15 years old, uh, I was in a car accident. <clears throat> I was driving on my way home from basketball practice, didn't even have a permit and lost control of the vehicle, uh, flipped down the highway vehicle landed it was upside down when it stopped flipping i crawled out uh, through a small opening Uh, of course this is just the condensed version but i crawled through a small opening in the vehicle and uh my right hand i played high school basketball at the time and so my right hand my shooting hand it cut a tendon had to have surgery and that caused me to have to have a cast on for the duration of that summer. And so when summer league uh, came, I wasn't able to play in summer league. And what that did is that caused me to be separated from the crowd that I was hanging with at school. Uh, at the time, I felt like it was a curse. But in retrospect, I realized it was just God's hand at work. And he was literally separating me from people that were not factored into the equation of my destiny. And so at 15 years old, uh, I went through a major season of loneliness because God began to separate me from that crowd and surround me with godly people uh, there at my home church in Bogalusa, Louisiana. And in that, at 15 years old, God called me to preach the gospel. And I went to my high school basketball coach. Now, just a disclaimer, I was never going pro or anything like that. But athletics, they were. Really? uh, Because like every preacher I've ever heard of was on their way to. (laughs) Yeah, no, not not me. I mean, I I wasn't a bench warmer or anything, you know, but I. I, uh, yeah, my future was definitely not in basketball. I left but in that, millions to preach. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, no, not me, not me. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't a bench warmer by any means, but at the same time, during that season of life, it was a god to me, and I worship basketball. And so, uh, man, I I gave up everything. I went to my high school coach, and I told him God called me to preach. I got back in church. I prayed through, um, and I I want to pursue ministry. And I told him, I, I said, I, I don't want to miss prayer meeting. I don't want to miss, mm. uh, I don't want to miss youth rallies. I don't want to miss choir practice. I don't want to miss anything. I want to, I want to throw myself into this. Uh, I was, I was burning, I was burning the plow and killing the ox. It was my, mm. it was my Elisha moment. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to leave this and go after, uh, you know, because destiny, destiny doesn't wait. Destiny doesn't wait. It pays you a visit and it keeps going to see if you're going to make the decision to follow it. And so at 15 years old, mm. destiny had paid me a visit. And so just like Elijah and Elisha, he didn't stop when he brushed him with the mantle. He just let destiny visit the young man and he kept going to see if Elisha would follow him. Mm. So Amen. that was that was my moment where I had to burn the plow and kill the ox. And so I, I told my coach that I, um, that I, I didn't want to play anymore, that I quit. And he cursed me out in front of all of my peers, just made an embarrassment out of me, uh, called me all of the, all of the typical names, you know, weirdo, holy roller, all of that kind of stuff. And um, I remember one day, and and this is how Jesus became my best friend. I'm, I'm getting to that right here. Yeah. I remember I remember I showed up to school one day and I mean, I I totally changed my appearance, my vocabulary, everything. And I sat down at the lunch table one day and I remember everyone at that table. As soon as I sat down, they got up and walked off literally in sync. They all picked up their plates and left Oof. because they didn't they, they didn't want to sit next to the Pentecostal preacher boy. And man, that that crushed me. That broke me, because here I here I was. I had all the friends in the world when I was playing high school basketball, not living for God. To now, I literally have nobody. Family's not living for God. Family's broken apart. Uh, barely any friends in the youth group. Uh, I had not been around the youth group long enough to really develop any strong connections and and so i was literally in the most lonely season of my life and so what what happened was every day i would go home and i would go to my bedroom after school i'd shut the door and i'd bury my face in a pillow and i would just cry and weep and i'd say god you're all that i've got and when Jesus was all that I had, I found out that Jesus was all I needed. And so no matter how lonely I was at school or even in my own home or wherever I was, um, I knew that if I didn't fit in at school, I always fit in in my prayer closet. <laughs> wow. And that's and I mean, that that has never stopped. I've never been the popular guy. I've never been the guy that. You know, people are seeking out at the conference to go eat with. But I know when the conference is over, when the church service is over, um, when the lights are turned down, I always fit in in my prayer closet. And today, 
Jesus is my best friend. And I'm 28 years old now. And since I was 15, I've been trying to become his best friend. So loneliness was by far, and I've, I've said this to students all over, that loneliness is by far the greatest gift that God has ever given me. So in short, that's how Jesus became my best friend, and he still is today. So the first thing you really learned to do was pray. Some preachers that That's grew right. up in church, they learned how to play drums first. That, that was me. I learned how to play drums first before prayer. Uh, some some learn how to, I, I guess, uh, clean up the church. Some learn how to ch- mow the church grass. And I'm sure you did all of those things. But your first technique, uh, ministerial attribute, was learning how to pray. And... Uh, I just, that's just so rare to hear. You don't hear about, you know, 15-year-olds getting alone with God. Wow. Well, it was, it was all that I had because mm. when, when you don't have a pulpit, you still have a prayer closet. Mm. When you don't have a microphone, you still have an altar. And that was all I had at 15 years old. So, But what, what that taught me is that taught me ministry is the overflow of relationship. I yes. had a, I had a, I had a young man come to me. Uh, I was getting ready to take the pulpit in a church service and I'd been in revival there for probably uh, seven or eight weeks at this point. And this young man came to me before I got ready to walk up onto the platform. And he said, brother Herring, I have a question for you. He said, how do you know how to flow in the Holy Ghost while you're preaching? And I said, well, I don't have a profound answer for you. It's really quite simple. I said, I can flow in the Holy Ghost behind the pulpit because I learned how to flow in the Holy Ghost in my prayer closet. And so it's, it's, it's the exact same thing. So I, yeah. my, my, my preaching is an overflow of my prayer life. And so I know the voice of God behind the pulpit because I became acquainted with the voice of God in my prayer closet. And so, I mean, if there's any advice that I could give to young men and young women that want to be in the ministry, there should never be a disconnect uh, between relationship and revival. Revival should be the overflow of your relationship with God. And so if you can learn to live in a place of relationship, everything else should flow out of that. And it, it should flow easily out of that. Mm. Wow. You didn't come from, from a pastor's home. You didn't have, as it were, networking connections. And by your own admission, you weren't the guy that everybody sought out at the conferences. You learned how to get alone with God. Uh, And now, through the goodness of God and just obtaining favor in the eyes of other pastors, you're uh, preaching a a notable youth conference this weekend. Right. Yeah. So it's possible that you can be nobody from nowhere and God says, I want to use you just simply because he trusts you because you wanted to be his friend. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. My God, man, I'm moved to tears right now. 
I've got a, I've got a lot of listeners that I feel like that were right there. Um, you know, nowadays, I think a lot of, I say kids, they're not kids. They're re- they're really adults. When you're, when you're 18 years old, you're an adult. Now, but now, even nowadays, some kids that are 14 are adults having to be adults. Sure. And they're laying in their room on the floor with their headphones in and their phone in hand listening to this, and they feel like they have nothing except <laughs> Justin Gleason's podcast. Sure. And you're telling them right now if they can learn to get along with God, it'll open up doors that are just will blow their mind. Well, it'll save their life. Yeah. It'll save, it, it'll save their life. And, and I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we could camp out here on this, this topic of loneliness for just a minute. Please. Yeah. Um, because the, the, I said earlier that the greatest gift, obviously outside of the Holy Ghost, but the greatest gift that God has ever given me is the gift of loneliness. And what that did was that protected me from crowds that God never intended for me to be around. Um, When you study the life of Moses, um, you see literally from the time Moses was born to the time that he died, he was hidden by God. The Bible said that he was hidden three months from his mother's womb when he was born uh, until Pharaoh's daughter drew him from the water. And then he was hidden for 40 years in the land of Midian. And then the Bible said that when Moses died, God hid his body so well that even the devil couldn't find it. So literally, you see a man that saw the glory of God and had the revelation of the I am at a burning bush experience. His entire life consisted of being hidden. And Moses, what is amazing to me is that in the land of Midian, Moses was not just in Midian to find Moses, or or Moses was not just in Midian to find God. Moses was in Midian to find Moses. Mm. Because before he ever stumbled across a burning bush, and before he ever got the revelation that he would be the pastor of the nation of Israel, Moses determined in himself, I may not know who I am, but I know who I'm not. I may not know what my calling in my future is in this kingdom, but I know I'm not an Egyptian. And so this generation has got to realize that loneliness is is a gift if they'll learn to lean into it and embrace it. Because God does not put us in seasons of loneliness just so we can find him. God puts us in seasons of loneliness so we can find us. And so to the young person that that may be what you were talking about, laying on their bedroom floor with uh, the earphones in, feeling like the Justin Gleason podcast is all they've got, to that young person, I would say lean into this season of loneliness. Because before you find out who you are, you have to find out who you're not. Mm. So before you ever get the revelation as to whether or not you're a pastor or you're a church planner or you're going to lead a CMI or start a P7 club or be a songwriter or a musician or a missionary 
or an evangelist, you've got to make up in your mind as to whether or not you're going to be an Egyptian. And so if you can decide who you're not, then God can show you who you are. You're not an Egyptian. You're not an Egyptian. And then throughout Moses' life, he progresses. And God looks at him and he says, Moses, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. But he said, there is a place by me. I have found out that a place by God is usually a place that is away from everybody else. A place by God is usually a place that is away from everybody else. And he said, Moses, there, there is a place by me. That word place there literally means a position or a location. So loneliness is not a condition. Loneliness is a position. Loneliness is not a limitation. Loneliness is a location that's been ordained by God for this season of your life. And when Moses embraced that loneliness and learned how to lean into being hidden and separated from the crowd by God, that's when Moses got the revelation that nobody else got. That's when God passed by him and he saw the hinder parts of God. When you let God hide you from everybody else and you embrace that season of loneliness, God will tell you things he doesn't tell everybody else. Yeah. God will share things with you he doesn't share with everybody else. And when you come out of that prayer closet, when you come off that mountain, Moses, your face is going to be shining. You're going to walk with something that nobody else walks with. But if you bypass this season of loneliness just because you want to fit in with crowds you were never meant to fit in with, you're going to miss it all. Mm. You're going to miss it all. Wow. Oh, what a word. Loneliness is not a condition. It's a position. Wow. So you're, you're, you're in your mid-teens. Your parents separate. Uh, you're in a horrible car wreck. And... Most kids that get in that into that situation, kids that usually got in that type of situation, then they didn't run to God. Uh, they ran to gangs. Yeah. Ran to drugs. Ran into the disassociative culture. Uh, a, a lot of them uh, ran to like uh, the goth culture. Yeah. But not you. You ran to God. That the the pain you were feeling, the despair, rejection, abandonment, uh, you ran to God, <laughs> and 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 look at look at it now. Just here, twelve, thirteen years later. Wow, amazing. So, how did you pray when it first started out? I I know that's the, you know those are those are times just between you and God, and you can't reveal everything. But how, how did you pray? Well, starting off as a 15-year-old kid with, with not really much of an example in the home, um, I, would, I would literally shut the door to my bedroom and cut off all the lights. And I would turn on some worship music. And I would bury my face in the pillow. And I would I, literally, whatever problem I was having, 
whatever emotion I was feeling, whatever pain I felt, whatever desire I had, whatever dream I had to be used in the ministry, I took it to him. I didn't hold anything back. Mm. I wept. I screamed. I spoke in tongues. I I did everything. It, it was it, sometimes I, all I could do was scream. I, I didn't even have words. Uh, John Bunyan said in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Mm. And when you, when you read Hannah, she was so desperate for a child that the Bible said her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Yeah. She reached that place of desperation and prayer that she literally had no words but she still had a heart. And so I learned at a young age that if, if I could just get to that place of desperation with God, where I may not have the words, but if I can have the heart, he'll always bend his ear and listen to what I've got to say, even if there are no words that are coming out of my mouth. Hmm. And so I just, I gave everything to him because again, if I didn't fit in anywhere else, I always fit in in my prayer closet. And so most of the time, I approach that it, most of the time, if not every time, I approach that as just going to spend time with my friend because he he was the only friend I had. And so and I know I know it sounds so elementary to most people. When they say talk to him like you're talking to a friend, but if you can really wrap your head around the power of of that statement, you can you can go some places in the spirit realm when you approach God as your friend in prayer. Jesus, yes. Mm. So your prayer was a lot of like what the Psalms the psalmist wrote about. I cried out to the Lord. Oh, yeah. I was, you know, couldn't find words. I, I poured out my heart to the Lord in anguish. I cried out to the Lord. And your pain, putting, you know, no mask at all, no facade at all. Well, not, not, even, not, not even just anguish. It, it was literally a place of, of embrace for me, mm -hmm. you know, just absent father, broken home, dysfunctional family, yeah. no friends. I, literally, I could, I could, I, I can almost feel in this moment talking about it, what it felt like mm -hmm. as a 15 year old kid bent over my bed. I, I can almost just feel those arms wrapping around me and letting me know that everything's going to be all right. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, that, that is when Jesus became my best friend. Yeah. I felt that too. Those arms around you. Mm. It's a real thing. It is. It happened to me in my dorm room, Bible college. Mm. That was the first wow. time. And something when you're, when your heart is heavy, when you feel like your life is broken, uh, run to God. <laughs> no matter how old or young you are, you run to God. 
Yeah, That's loneliness it. and pain will drive you to do that, and you'll come out of it more powerful than ever before. Wow. That's it. That's it. So you developed a, a prayer life, and the Lord became your friend. You got to know Jesus uh, during those times, and I'm sure it opened up a lot of things in the Spirit to you. But another thing I've heard you talk a lot about is your connection to um, the Bogalusa First Church and your pastor, Pastor Travis Houston. Shout out to Brother right. Houston, by the way, and uh, Bogalusa First Church. Yeah. And you've talked about the importance of serving your pastor, loving your pastor, uh, learning from your pastor, observing your pastor. Um, describe the impact that Brother Houston had on your life in your teen years and, and to this day? Well, I, I could start now and talk forever because, I mean, words really don't put it into, really, words really don't put justice to it, doesn't do it justice. But uh, when I was 15 and I told him I was called to preach, he took me in as a son and he when I'm telling you, he taught me everything that I know about being a man. He taught me how to shave. Really? He taught me. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He taught me how to shave. He uh, took me to buy my first vehicle. He taught me how to open a bank account. Cool. He taught me how to, how to plant a flower bed, how to what everything to uh, yeah how to change a tire how to hang sheet i've rock. never met brother houston but i just don't imagine him knowing how to tend a garden that is oh, epic yeah. well he was teaching me because he wanted a garden planted at his house ah. so, yeah <laughs> so anyway yeah uh how to how to wash a vehicle how to iron a dress shirt how to shine your shoes how to tie a tie I mean, the whole thing, man, he, he taught me and he literally took everything he knew about ministry. And he said, here you go. If you want it and if you're willing to pay the price, I'll give it to you. I'll teach you everything I have. And from the time I was 15 uh, until the time I was 23 years old, I worked for him. Uh, starting out part-time while I was in high school. And then when I graduated high school, I worked for him full-time until I started evangelizing full-time at 23 years old. And so, uh, I mean, he, he, he took me in as his own son. And if he talks to people, uh, you know, people have come to me after the fact and said, you know, he, he doesn't call you his son in the gospel. He refers to you as his son. And so that's a pretty special relationship that has even been perpetuated after I've been full time for five years, you know. So we're very close in everything I am and everything I ever will be. I owe number one to God and number two to my pastor, without mm -hmm. a doubt. So, Brother Heron, when you went to Pastor Houston, and you felt a call to preach, did you immediately expect him to put you right in the pulpit? No, I didn't because I had heard there him you tell go. stories about, I'd heard him tell stories about his pastor and how he started out in ministry. And so 
I told him I felt called to preach, and he said, well, I guess you'll preach. And, I mean, that's a direct quote. He said, I, well, I guess you'll preach. And that was his way of saying, if you want it bad enough, then there's nothing that's going to stop you. That's that's what he was saying in that. And so um, I started volunteering to do whatever he wanted me to do, whatever he needed me to do. If I had a off day at school, I'd go to the church. If, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas break, after school, during the summer, I was at the church working. Um, I wasn't taking a normal summer vacation. I've done everything from scrub the toilets to wash his vehicles to babysit his kids to drive him to funerals and, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, ev- literally everything, vacuum the sanctuary. I counted it up the other day. I counted all of the toilets uh, there at my home church and how many years I worked there. And I, it, it's it's somewhere between 7,000 uh, and 7,200 toilets that I've scrubbed over the course of seven years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that just, <laughs> yeah, that puts it into perspective that there, there were no handouts. You, you need to get a sermon. Them. I've counted the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd probably preach exactly. Too. <laughs> Exactly. Get a big toilet up there on that stage, on that platform. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Wow. So when you went to Brother Houston and said, I feel called to preach, what you were really saying was, Pastor, I want to do what you do. That's it. Can I observe you? Will you let me be around you to do it as you do one day? That's it. Mm. That's what I did with my dad. What I did with every evangelist that came through. But essentially, well, it's any, essential. Yeah, I, 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 it was. I want to be as you are, and I hope I, I hope I can find favor in your eyes to believe that I've got what it takes to do what you do someday. Well, it's the it's the power of proximity. Mm. It's the power of proximity. That that's how Elisha stepped into the double portion of Elijah's spirit. He was given three different opportunities to separate himself from Elijah. But Elisha never would separate himself from the elder because he understood my position to you determines my position from you. And so because he stayed close to the man of God, the power of proximity, when the mantle fell, it wasn't picked up by one of the 50 sons of the prophets on the other side of the river. It was picked up by the son of a farmer that understood the power of proximity. Mm. And so when God called me to preach, I, I understood the power of proximity. If you want a double portion of what he's got, you got to stay close to him because one day the mantle's going to fall. And when it does, I want to be there to grab it. Yes. Wow. Already you've uh, talked to us about, just some phenomenal insight and application in, into two Bible stories of Moses, God hiding him. Uh, that's profound. Hit, hit him in the, in, in the uh, bulrushes. Uh, hit him in Midian. Hit him in the cleft of the rock. Hit, hit, uh, even uh, Michael hid his body. And, and now uh, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha could have separated himself three times. And, uh, 
it was one of the things that just intrigued me about your ministry. You have a great grasp on the depth of the Word of God and your preaching. Uh, what are your Bible reading and study habits? Like, like lately? Sure. Um, well, of course, that's evolved over time. Yeah. And, I, you know, I used to ask every preacher that would come through my home church, what, what do you do to study? How, what, what are your study methods? And when I would try to adopt what they did into my life and my study routine, it just didn't work for me. So I have I have found what works for me and I I stick with it. But I wake up in the morning, I sit at my desk, I open my Bible and I read and I try to dissect. uh, I try to dissect an entire book of the Bible before I ever move on to the next book. And I'm, and when I say dissect it, I mean pick it apart verse by verse and study everything I possibly can about that. And I might do that for an hour, and then I'll get up and pray and walk around. And, you know, I'm, I might pray for an hour and then sit back down and study for two or three hours and then get up and pray some more. Really, when it boils down to it, I just follow the Holy Ghost in my Bible studying and, and my praying. And I stay there until God releases me for the day. Um, but really, it's quite simple. I just I dissect the book of the Bible until I feel that the Lord is releasing me from that book. And then I pray and he'll direct me to another book uh, or even another Bible story or a character or whatever the case may be. And I will dissect it as much as I possibly can until it's literally prayed and studied into my spirit. Mm, absolutely. If that makes sense. I, I know that seems, seems oh, vague, but I mean. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. And that really is the pathway to preaching without reading notes. There it is. There it is. So there's a, I don't preach with, uh, well, I have notes, but I don't look at them. I really, right. I, I'll write out my ideas, read over and put my notes in me. And you kind of follow right. that same idea. I mean, it, you told me an extended revival, like a lot, like a lot of conferences, you do the iPad thing, the device thing, but in extended revivals, uh, forget the iPad, it's post-it notes all over the Bible. Sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> If that, you know, <laughs> if that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you rely a lot on something we've talked about, the stream of consciousness. Now, I know that's a, a psychologist term, but I don't know what else to call it in that you're just talking naturally and your own soul, your own ability to make choices on what you say locks into the mind of God. And you just start talking. Right. And just word and revelation and concepts and ideas and powerful things. Biblical uh, preaching, spirit-led preaching just kind of flows out in like what we're doing now, talking at the dinner table with somebody and in a Bible study and also the pulpit, even in the altar praying for people. Can you describe what that is like for you? 
so you call it a uh, stream of consciousness. Uh, is that what you call it? Stream of conscience? Yeah. Co stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness. Yeah. That's, okay. that's really, I don't really call it that when I preach. I call it that when I podcast, I just turn on this. No, microphone, no, no, sure. Start talking. I don't sure. know what else to call it. It's you're not reading from a narrative. You, you don't have a script now. It's just sure. not, you know, say whatever comes into your mind. You know, that'll get you in no, no, no. trouble. No, I, I get what you mean. Uh, until I heard you say that and you called it what you called it, I've always just said that it's hear and repeat. Hear and repeat. That's it. Hear and repeat. Talk about that. Hear and repeat. Yeah. So, uh, which this goes back to what I said earlier about knowing the voice of God. I know the voice of God in the pulpit because I know the voice of God in my prayer closet. And so what happens is, um, Let's say I'm in a revival and I'm praying about what the Holy Ghost wants to say during Sunday service. The Holy Ghost will speak to me and I will hear it. And I will pray that into my spirit to the point that I don't need notes and that I don't I don't have to write it down. And I'll go to the pulpit. And because I have prayed what God has said into my spirit. I'm going to the pulpit and I am repeating what I heard. Mm. That's, that is my only job. That is my only job is to hear and repeat because if the Holy ghost isn't saying is, is not telling me to say it, I don't want to say it. And if the Holy ghost is telling me to say it, I better say it. I don't, I don't want to not say it no matter how strong it may be or whatever the case or, or worrying about, obviously you got to preach the word in love, but I'm saying if the Holy ghost says to say it, then I have a mandate. I have an obligation from God to say it. And so for me, it's just hear and repeat. And even when I'm behind the pulpit, because I have studied and I have prayed the word into my spirit, and God has taken revelation and ingrained it and, and it's interwoven into the fabric of my being, even if it's something I didn't plan on saying, I can, I can be in the throes of preaching and then boom, I'll hear something and then I'll repeat it. And it, it really is that simple. I, I know that people think preaching without notes is some, you know, masterful art or whatever, but it's really just as simple as hearing the voice of God and repeating what it says. Yeah. Now you talk about what you know about, but I think human beings that read a lot, talk a lot, know how to articulate themselves, well-read, well-studied, uh, have a good connection between their mind and their heart. They just know how to talk. Sure. And it just comes out and you just, these little ideas will drop from nowhere and they link to what you've already been saying all along. Sure. And it's, I think, I think that's just how Jesus taught. That's how the apostles taught. And they didn't like prepare sermons. They rather prepared themselves. Prepare your spirit. Yeah. That's prepare it. your spirit. Man, you've had a conversation with God and you're just sharing your conversation with God that morning in the evening service. That's it. It's, it's that simple. Simple as that. That's it. Mm. Man, I think it's very effective and refreshing because that's really, 
you know, like I said, Jesus did it, the apostles did it, but that's really a throwback way of preaching back to yeah. old time Pentecost because they didn't. Yep. I mean, uh, very rare did a preacher even have a typewriter. A lot of them had a little small Bible that fit into a pocket and then maybe a little black book and a pencil. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. We're sticking to the old pads, man. That's all it is. Oh. <laughs> Hello. That's right. I like it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, blessed are they that learn to to, to hear and repeat. That's flow it. Flow in the stream of consciousness. Amen. But when you're praying like we've been talking about, um, observing your pastor and being involved in church ministry like you're talking about and stepping out in faith to evangelize at age 23 and then hours of, of study and preparation. Not only do you get Jesus, not only do you uh, get uh, connections with your pastor, pastors, a good connection with your Bible, but you're going to get a connection with the spirit world. Right. And I'm talking about angels, demons, and human spirits. And uh, we'll stop there. I don't think there's anything else <laughs> out there. But I don't want to... There's two types of people that interact with the spirit world, angels, demons, and human spirits, the righteous and unrighteous. The unrighteous interact with it because they open themselves uh, to, a, to the darker side of things. And I don't want to talk about that, but talk about somebody who's living right, living holy, and that aspect of interaction with angels and demons. Cause I, cause my first interaction was not with angels. It was actually demons. And I thought, my God, what, what am I doing wrong here? You know, how, how is this happening? And I realized they weren't coming after me cause I was doing something wrong. They were coming after me cause I was doing something right. Exactly. And that's where I think a lot of people are at. They're starting to repent. They're starting to walk into their destiny. And all of a sudden they're getting attacked with hell. Yep. And they're, and they're, you know, they don't know what to do with it. And I know you've been through some stuff. Uh, can you share your insight and experiences with the spirit world? Yeah. So just like yourself, my first experience with the spirit world was not with angels. I wish it would have been, but it wasn't. It was actually with the demonic side of things. Uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. I had not had the Holy Ghost very long. Uh, my my parents were still married at the time. We were all still living together in, in one home. And I woke up in the middle of the night and for whatever reason, I I was just terrified. I could not sleep. I felt like something was watching me. Oof. And so I I crawled out of my bed and I snuck across the hallway into my parents' bedroom and I had my blanket and a pillow and I laid at the foot of their bed and I fell asleep. And all of a sudden I, I woke up and there was this, this people are going to think I'm off my rocker, but I mean, it is what it is. There was this, this green glowing wolf type dog oh. and it it had it had long sharp teeth and it had talons like an eagle uh as hands and it was pointing that talon toward me and it was growling 
and and its hair was spiked up like standing up and uh i woke up screaming i I stood straight up off the floor and i screamed to the top of my lungs and i know that it was a visitation from hell because no matter how loud i screamed my mother nor my father ever woke up they never woke up and so i I don't I don't know what happened, but it just disappeared. And for whatever reason, when it disappeared, I just I don't know, man. I, I guess the Holy Ghost has helped me. But as a seven, eight year old kid, I just laid back down and went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and it it felt like a bad dream, but I, I knew that it wasn't a dream. I knew that what I thought happened is exactly what happened. And so for most of my life, uh, as I say, most of my life as a kid, from that point forward, I would I would awaken in the middle of the night and I would know that something was in my room. Yeah. I couldn't always see it, but I I could feel it. And yeah, when I say when I say wake up, I don't mean you wake up and you have to rub your eyes. I mean immediately you're wide awake out of a dead sleep, sitting up, looking yep. around in your room because you know something is there. And so that that kind of, um, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. So I wrestled with that for years, and then it stopped whenever mm. my family fell apart and, and uh, wasn't living for God. And then when I got back in church at 15 years old, it started again. I would literally... Uh, Like I said, I would be laying in bed and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I knew something was in the room. And there was a stint for about two years where I I could not sleep at all. I mean, it it would take me forever to go to sleep. And when I finally did, something would walk in the room and it would wake me up. And I never understood that. At first, I thought it was just me, you know, overthinking things or just letting my mind play games on me. Um, but I, uh, I was preaching a meeting with, uh, an elder of mine and he's, he's a prophet of God. I'm actually here preaching this youth conference with him this weekend. And we were preaching a meeting together and the church we were preaching at, they put us in a, an Airbnb together. And he walked outside and he came back in and he, he made a statement and it just, it, it resonated with me. He said, he said, whatever the prince of this region is, is strong because I could feel it watching me when I just walked out to my truck. Now I know there are some people that don't believe in all this, but it's real whether we want to admit it or not. Um, oh yes. And he, and he said that, and I, I just, it resonated with me. And I said, I said, you say that, and it it brings me back to memories as a kid. I'd walk out to my mother's vehicle to get something as a kid, and I could feel eyes on me. I could feel like something was watching me, and I would get afraid, and I would run back to the house as fast as I could. And I said, do you think something was watching me? And he said, yes, it was. And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, because hell knew what you would become before you knew what you would become. Oh, my God. 
He said, hell has been watching you since you were, well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel it right now, bro. You're, you're talking to me right now. He said, he said, I'm in the middle of what you're talking about right now. Wow. Wow. (laughs) The last several weeks, all I have felt like is something's watching me, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's hell has been watching you since you were a kid. That's what he said to me. And so what we have to understand about the spirit world is hell is reactive. Hell knows what God activates in the spirit world, even before you and I do. And so you can look all throughout scripture. That's a principle that is played out throughout scripture. Uh, The serpent did not attack Eve until they were given the commission to be fruitful and multiply. The serpent was reacting to what God had activated. Pharaoh did not want to kill the males born of the Hebrews until Moses was born. That spirit was reacting to the redemption God had activated in the earth for that nation. Uh, the, the, The prince of Persia did not resist the angel until it came for Daniel's words. It was reacting to an answer God activated to Daniel's prayers. Uh, Herod didn't want to kill the, the, the males born in Bethlehem until Jesus was born. The spirit of Antichrist was reacting to what God had activated in the earth. And so anytime hell begins to be active, it's not just that hell is being active. It's that hell is being reactive. It's reacting to something God has already activated in the spirit realm, Mm. and it just hasn't made it to the earth realm yet. So that's why when people go to their prayer closet and they can break through for six months, and then all of a sudden they go one day and it seems like the heavens are brass and they can't break through, could it be that the angel with the answer to their prayers is just being resisted somewhere in the spirit world? Jesus. Mm. And so, so hell has been watching you since you were just a kid because hell knew what you would become even before you knew what you would become. And as a kid, before my family ever fell apart, before Jesus ever became my best friend, before I ever got called to preach, hell's eyes have been on me and hell's been visiting me since I was a kid. Because hell knew what I would become. Mm. Oh my God. Well, that happened to me when I was a kid. Yeah, you saw a wolf. I saw a black crow. Mm. Yeah, a, gi- a giant crow, huge. Uh, came, appeared to me in my dreams and then physically came into, me, into my room. And what was something was uh, for weeks preceding that I would I would wake up right out of a dead sleep. That's how you know what's going on is spiritual, and it could be God. Yeah. If you're ever having a dream and you wake up immediately uh, from it, that's a sign it, it, the dream came from the Lord. Yeah. I was I was I was going and sleeping at the right next to my dad by his bed, and after a few weeks, I had this dream I was being chased around the church by, by this crow. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and it was it was right there, and it it didn't even occur to me what it was until later on in life. Man, yeah, it's 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 amazing the symbolism in in dreams because I you dream about, um, you referenced a crow. I 
for whatever reason, I dream about snakes often mm. and about 90% of the time there's a spiritual meaning and something God's trying to tell me through that. And so, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, a, that's very important just for anybody listening that when you dream about certain animals, don't be so quick to write it off. Sometimes there could be a meaning to that symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, snakes, I think represent deception. Um, wolves represent a hypocrite. Uh, a lamb can represent Jesus, God. Sure. And things like that. Um, sure. Even like a whale or a great fish could represent God is about to stop you from where you're going. Yeah. I've had that. <laughs> it's like, like Jonah. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you want to flow in the Holy Ghost? Uh, the spirit world watches. It does. And even still, I mean, I'll have, I've had things follow me home from different regions. God has sent me into regions that are, uh, you know, that are, that are run by certain spirits. I say run by certain spirits that are, certain spirits are prevalent in those regions. Uh, You know, I've, I've preached in places where there's major, major Indian presence and they still, practice heavily you know all of their black magic and things of that nature and we we i remember vividly just a couple months ago uh, god sent me into a region and we we confronted that spirit and i I got home and just a few nights later one of those spirits woke me up standing at the foot of my bed it followed me home and so you you just you got to learn man if you're if you're going to operate in the spirit realm there's a light side to it, but there's a dark side to it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's watching, it's watching. Mm-hmm. So, but thank, thank God, thank God there's a light side to it as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, look at Jesus. Did he interact with angels first or uh, the devil? I read exactly. Uh, tempted of the devil. And then the angels came and ministered to him and strengthened yep. him. That's it. So, yeah, uh, Paul probably had to battle the be- the beasts of Ephesus before the angel stood with him in, in the ship. Yep. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there there you go. It's all a part of it, and you know, a lot of it is trying to distract, trying to afflict, trying to vex. If if I went through anything in 2021, it was being vexed. Like constantly annoyed, uh, constantly perturbed uh, by by the enemy himself, and then also through certain people. Yeah, it's just a, a tactic of the enemy. But yeah, it watches. And I, I don't know, man. Ever since uh, this year, beginning of this year, I I went to bed laying down, thinking I feel like I'm being watched. Like I I, I seriously go. wondered if. <laughs> Am I being surveillanced? <laughs> yeah. You know? And it, it's, I kind of knew it in the back of my mind, but it hit me now. You're talking to me. Uh, the spirit world's got its eye on me. Yes, it does. So, bro, let me ask you this. Have you ever been preaching or ministering in the altar and you can feel the angels of the Lord working with you? Yes, sir. Mm. Yes, sir. Tell me about it. 
so that that process started for me in 2019. I had just come off of a fast, and I was I was just reaching, just hungry for a greater understanding of the spirit world, and uh, I was preaching a youth conference and brother Aaron Bounds he he may not even remember this shout out to pastor Aaron Bounds shout out to brother Aaron Bounds no doubt um he slipped in he had had just landed and made it to the end of the service that I was preaching and when he walked in I was talking about the power of a woman's uncut hair and the role that angels play in that. And later that night, when he got finished preaching, he called me onto the platform and he prophesied to me. And he said, Caleb, from this day forward, angels are going to be a major part of your ministry. And so fast forward, I was preaching in Wichita, Kansas, and I was on the phone with our good mutual friend, Bobby Wade. <laughs> and and if anybody knows Bobby, Bobby, I mean, he's he's a cut up. He's funny, but that guy's tapped in and he's yeah. I mean, he's a prophet of God. Yes, he is. And so shout so anyway, shout out to B Wade. Um, so we were on the phone and we got to talking about uh, something specific. And there was a very distinct presence that walked into my hotel room and and without me even saying anything to bobby and again he may not even remember this i hope he does but he said caleb did you just feel that and i said yeah i did and then he described exactly what i felt and he said is that what you felt and i said yeah that's exactly what i felt And he said, an angel just walked into your room. And I said, why is he here? He said, because he's attracted to our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that. And from that moment forward, just about any time that I have a conversation about the angelic, I can feel him show up. Yeah. And, and that, that messed with me because I didn't think years ago that the angelic could be that much a part of my everyday life. And so I've really had to learn to make that adjustment that this is who we are and that the spirit world is. See, that's the thing. The spirit world is the real world. It preceded time and creation. Yes. The, the 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 natural world that's the created world that's not the real world the spirit world is the real world and so the angelic is i mean it's an everyday part of who we are as spirit-led people and so as a matter of fact uh in wichita kansas after bobby told me that uh and, and i don't know if that's what people feel when they experience the angelic, but that is a physical sign that God has given me that has helped me identify when they're in the room. 
And so uh, a few nights later, I'm laying in the bed in, in Wichita and boom, three in the morning, something walked into the room. Uh, it, it, it scared me at first. It felt, it felt like fear. And then I started praying and that fear lifted. And all of a sudden I started interceding and God took a word and just downloaded it into my spirit. And I picked up my phone. Uh, I text out everything the Lord told me and I sent it to a friend of mine and he texted me the next day and he said, bro, that was, that was spot on. That was, that was, uh, was exactly what I needed to hear exactly what I'm dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And so I said that to say that what walked into my room that night was a messenger angel mm-hmm. and it brought the word of the Lord to me to tell somebody else. And so that started the journey for me. And ever since then, angels, as Brother Bounds prophesied, have been a major part of of my ministry. Uh, I can't tell you how many times um, I've been in a church service and it seems like it's just locked up and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. And I'll be behind the pulpit just giving my opening remarks and trying to find the vein for the service and and wait for that you know that that vein to open up and then boom there it is that angel just comes and stand next to me and i feel a release to get started and from that moment on there's no resistance no opposition the whole atmosphere just shifts um and adding on to that it was let's see when was this it was probably um it was over the summer i want to say it was august i was preaching in texas and it was one of those services um service was just locked up and there it is that angel it just it just came and stood by me i felt it and the pastor after church i got finished preaching and walked over to where the pastor was sitting and he said brother herring i want to ask you a question he said have you ever had much experience with angels in your ministry and i said well yes sir i i have and then i just kind of explained to him what brother bounds prophesied to me years ago and things like that a couple of encounters that i'd had and uh he said well he said while you were preaching he said there was about a 10-foot angel that came and stood behind you and he had his sword drawn and he said everywhere you went that angel its eyes never left you he said when you were behind the pulpit when you were out in the crowd walking around he said that angel stood there with its sword drawn and it was watching every move that you make and he said the holy ghost wants me to tell you that that is the angel that god has assigned to you (laughs) and he said anytime you have opposition he said the holy ghost wants me to tell you all you have to do is release that angel because that angel is assigned to you and god has assigned him to you to fight on your behalf and so Mm ever since then if i'm plowing and it seems like nothing's happening uh, i'll say god that angel 
you know which one I'm talking about. I need you to send him. And he'll show up and things will break and stuff will happen. Yes. And once you once you go there, there's no going back for me. Yeah. There's there's no going back for me. I, I can't Where shall we it, go back? It to? Just, <laughs> yeah, it is it is what it is. I you, you can't go back. This this thing's too real. Too real. I've, I've ex- yeah, I've experienced it too much. It's too real. I've had them. I've had them walk with me through the airport. I asked. I asked uh, an elder of mine. I said. I said I feel angels when they walk into the room. I said, but I've never seen one. And this is the same elder that told me about hell watching me since I was a kid. I said I've never seen an angel. He said, yes, you have. You just didn't know it. <laughs> he said, you've sat next to him on airplanes. You've passed them in the aisle in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You've walked by them in the airport. He said, you've, you've seen them at the gas station behind the counter. He said, we've all seen angels. We just don't know it. He's right. And yeah. And it was just a few weeks later. I said, God, I, I want you to let me see an angel. Just show me one. And uh, this story, it's a whole long, crazy story, but long story short, God sent an angel to walk with me through the airport. And just one of those things, you know, I know I say that casually, but uh, that's just how real it's become to me. You know, it it doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be, you know, weird. It's just, it's who we are. And so I can't go back. It It's marked me. It's changed me. So. Jesus name. They want to work with us. They do. They want to live in our homes with us. Go to the, stay in the hotel with us. Get in the car with us, playing with us. And they want to look into ministry. And I, you know, we're fascinated with them. I don't think they're quite as fascinated with us as we're fascinated with them, but they are, they desire to look into things about our lives, especially the, just what's been fulfilled by the Old Testament prophets concerning the works of Jesus and, and into right. the, uh, into the church. So yeah, it's real. You, you live like an angel lives, you'll attract angels. You That's love, it. You love what an angel loves, you'll attract them. That's it. You, you have the same spirit of that servant spirit for the Lord as an angel does, because they, they, they wait for him to beckon them. You live like that, <laughs> they will be around you, oh yeah. I Without remember, a doubt. Yeah, I remember early... In my twenties, when I was started preaching, working the altars, there was one service I was praying for somebody, and I felt this enormous hand on my back. I thought, "What big dude has got his hand on my back?" And I turned around, nobody there, nobody <laughs> yep, there. There it is. And that's wow. happened many times. There's an angel that works the altars with me. And you know, it's something when that when that stuff starts happening. A lot of times people, I'll be praying for them and they'll talk in tongues, but it's not worship unto God. It's actually a message from God in tongues. And I'll get the interpretation right there and it's always an interpretation for them. Wow. Like I don't, I've re- maybe two or three times in my life have I interpreted tongues publicly. Many times privately for people in the altar. It's when that angel comes around and prophecy and tongues and interpretation just flows. 
Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wants to work with us. Yeah. You know, and the it's stories you're telling me right now are things that I heard uh, Billy Cole talk about, Tom Barnes talk about. And here you and I are, and of course, not on the same level <laughs> at all. I'm not talking about that, but the spirit world wants to interact with everybody, anybody sure. that'll work for it and strive for it and study for it, and pray for it. It's all there. Praise God. Man. Oh, yeah. It's available. Yeah. When do you think you learned how to uh, work the altars and really be effective in praying people through to the Holy Ghost and seeing miracle signs, wonders, casting out devils, healings, all of that? When did that all kind of start for you? Uh, That started when I was still assisting my pastor, even as a teenager. I had watched him pray God knows how many people through there at my home church. and. I had memorized everything that he would say to them, uh, the process that he would walk them through, beginning with repentance. Uh, Anytime he walks up to someone in the altar, he would always ask them what their name was, and he would remember their name, and he would repeat their name to them over and over throughout the process. Um, And I I just mimicked everything he did. And I'll never forget it. I was probably 16 years old and I was standing on the platform at my own church. And there was a couple there. It was their first time there. First or second time there. It was a Sunday night. And um, he looks out and this couple, they're both just weeping during the worship service. And he looks at me and he says, do you not see those sinners? in their seats weeping right now. And I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you've seen me pray how many people through to the Holy Ghost? I said, a lot. He said, okay, if you don't pray them through tonight, you're fired. (laughs) Fired. You're, you're, yeah, not fired. You're fired. Fired. <laughs> fired. We're, we're from South Louisiana, as you can tell. Yeah. And, uh, and so I said, yes, sir. And I went down, asked them what their names were, told them my name, walking through repentance by the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the word of God, receive you the gift of the Holy Ghost, laid my hands on their heads and, 16 years old, all I was doing was mimicking my pastor. And that goes back to the power of proximity. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known that had I not been close enough to him to learn that. And so I just mimicked my pastor. And I do the same thing today if I pray somebody through. I mean, there there may be a few adjustments that I've made or things that I've added that, you know, things you just learn over time. Uh, different situations you encounter that you've got to you've got to approach and you know but the, by and large it's pretty much the same process that mm. I learned from him you know 12 years ago yes that's where ministry's at you want to get a taste of the supernatural start praying for people in the altar that's it and it doesn't have to be weird or crazy. Something I like to say around here is be natural with the supernatural. 
And uh, wow, yeah, yeah, just be natural about it. Yeah, yeah. Pray people through the Holy Ghost. Pray, pray against their sickness. Pray against the pain, the situation, anything. You'd see God do a lot of amazing things in that altar call. You know, when you partner with God, it's really all of this stuff seems like it's so unattainable or something that's available for, you know, the Tom Barnes and the Billy Coles and the G.A. Mankins, but it's not available for us. But if you'll just partner with God, he really can do anything. Mm -hmm. He really can do anything through anybody. Mm-hmm. You've read all of uh, for the Barnes's book. In his Living in the Overflow, he talked about when he was a teenager, he'd go out in the woods to pray. He'd get out there before, before the sun came up, pray all day, and then realize it was 10 o'clock at night. The sun went down. Didn't even realize it. He prayed all wow. day. That's how his ministry started, praying in the woods. And that's the same man that Michael the angel would come and get him in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. carry him in the spirit to the to the mountain. And they'd, they'd stand on the mountain in Jerusalem and pray against the enemies of Israel. Yes. Him and, him and my, I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it started in, in uh, I think he grew up in North I know he pastored actually in Southwest Missouri in the Ozarks early in his ministries, but as a boy, he was from Louisiana. Right. And just prayed in the woods. Prayed in the woods. <laughs> Got alone with God. Jesus became his best friend, like, he, like you've been talking about. That's it. Yeah. It's amazing. Brother Cole, in uh, some of his books, read stories, he started his ministry. Him and his wife, it wasn't in Thailand, wasn't there in West Virginia, started out as, as an evangelist out of his dad's church, and he went around to these towns with no churches, and somebody gave him a tent and some folding chairs, and in his book he talks about he set up that tent in the town and uh, waited a few hours, you know, were passing out tracks, trying to get interest, and nobody came. <laughs> it was time for service to start, and he gets up there in the pulpit, says, all right, we're going to begin with singing. And he started to sing, and his wife and her friend was down in the front row, and they started laughing at him. Like, this is ridiculous. Why are we singing? Nobody's here. <laughs> and he rebuked his wife. <laughs> oh, God. I would not recommend that. And he said in his book, by, by the end of the course, or the end of the second verse, that entire tent filled up with people. Wow. And they had revival that night. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, and uh, goodness. Yeah, you mentioned uh, G. A. Mangan. I've heard uh, for the Anthony Mangan talk about when he back in the fifties when he came to, or maybe it was the sixties somewhere around in there that that time. Early in pastoring there in Alexandria, he was on a he was fasting, and he walked into the bank and the banker about fell back in his chair, and he said, I don't know who you are, but you've got a halo above your head. My God. <laughs> yeah. He, he saw the manifestation of the glory of God above his head. Wow. So. Uh, That's what I'm after, man. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've gotten comfortable settling for less, and we've gotten, 
you know, it's amazing to me that the, the church services that we tell stories about, it was their church services. It was it was their church services that we tell stories about. It just mm. those 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 kind of guys, man, we we tell stories about their church services and what's happened is we've gotten comfortable telling the stories about their church services. But I, I want that. I want that more than anything. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm after. Mm-hmm. Nothing less. Yeah. And they weren't afraid to tell it. Maybe not right after it happened, maybe a year or two. But they would tell it. I think we need to start telling our experiences, whether we're seeing wolves as a kid or you know, ten foot tall angels with swords drawn, or what we somebody's human spirit seeking for the Holy Ghost. Everything we got to tell this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. People need to know how real the Lord is. That's if anything, this generation needs to know God is real. Yep. So, wow, brother Herring, would you close us out in a prayer for our generation? God. We thank you for every young man and every young woman that is listening to this podcast. And I pray right now that you would stir a divine discontentment in them. I pray that you would stir them out of their complacency, out of their comfort. Let them break the mold of what anybody else has tried to fit them into. Don't let them try to elbow their way into circles that you never intended for them to Mm. fit into. But let them lean into this season of loneliness. And in this season of loneliness, I pray that you would speak to them things that you don't speak to everybody else. God, let them see things that you don't show everybody else. And God, that angel that just walked into this room where I am, I pray, God, that you would send that angel to their prayer closet. Yes. Give them an understanding of what the eye cannot see of what the ear cannot hear, of what the hand cannot feel, of what the mouth cannot taste, of what the nose cannot smell. Let them realize that there is a world beyond this natural created world. And it is a world, God, that we can partner with to shake the gates of hell. I'm asking you right now, God, to call this generation first to relationship. And out of relationship, let revival flow, God. Recalibrate this generation, not to be dependent on talent and skill and ability and what man can manufacture and what flesh can fabricate. But let us get back to a true dependency on the real, genuine power of the Holy Ghost. God, I feel those angels right now, God. And I am asking you, God, to release them into every prayer closet where there is a hungry heart that will meet you. Mm. Become somebody's best friend that is listening to this podcast. Mark them, not just in the church service, not just in the revival, not just at the youth congress or the camp or the camp meeting. But God, mark them in their prayer closet. Let there be moments that they have with you as their best friend, where when they leave that dark room of solitude with you, that they can say, I'll never be the same. Mm. We believe it, God, and we thank you for the visitation that's about to take place in so many lives. 
In Jesus' name yes, we Jesus. pray. In Jesus' Thank name. you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. Brother Herring, thank you so much. You uh, have spoken to me personally. I just, I love your ministry, bro. I really do. I appreciate you coming well, on tonight. Well, man, it's mutual. It's been a great honor of mine. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Brother Caleb Herring. Mm-hmm.